Today's episode is with my good friend Mark Metry. Uh, and what is very interesting about Mark is that even though he's only 22 years old, he's already become a best-selling author and he has a top 100 podcast. So that says to me two things. First of all, it, it, he knows what he is talking about and he is talking about mental health and anxiety. His book that he just wrote, Screw Being Shy, is um, really a blueprint on how to go from being shy and having social anxiety to just being an empowered individual ready to tackle the world. Uh, and the second thing about him is that he's really good at uh, marketing and self-promotion and that sort of thing. So in this talk, in this podcast episode, we talked about both of those things. We covered how to um, get over social anxiety, but we also covered how to grow a podcast. Um, honestly, if you are interested in self-development and or entrepreneurship and or podcasting and personal branding and social media content then this is the episode for you and one thing i just want one other thing i just wanted to mention before we get started is that it was mark metry in the first place that really inspired me to start this podcast and also to just put a lot of effort into growing it so um this episode is dear to my heart and i am sure that you will enjoy it a lot thank you so much for listening and if you are listening to this on any podcasting platform, such as Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called, or Spotify or Stitcher, then please do subscribe. It um, helps us a lot. And if you could leave a quick review on Apple, whatever it's called, then that would be even better. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. And we are live. Um, everybody, welcome to another episode of the TMF Picnic. Uh, we're here together with Mark Metry, who's been a huge inspiration for me personally. He's the one to inspire me to turn my live show into a podcast, but also has inspired me to not complain, to just take <laughs> care of myself every day and to then go all in on my productivity. So there's a lot of uh, very impressive things about my friend Mark. Uh, one of them is that he has a top 100 podcast. Another one is that he's actually an author or is about to release his book, I believe on the 14th. Uh, and another one is that just a few years ago, he had a hard time doing anything at all, just having a hard time to talk to people, especially strangers. Then he moved over to being like a regular person. And then he went so far beyond that. Uh, and my first question, as always, is, okay, so I've given you this short introduction, very surface mm. level, doesn't do you justice at all. But <laughs> what is one thing people should know about you if they want to know what makes you tick? Yeah, man. So so this is funny, right? Because I remember in the, the first time that you interviewed me, I remember your form, your intake form. One of the questions was... I think it was something like, what is the most, what's the best thing you've achieved or something like that. And I remember last time I wrote that the best thing I've achieved is like the ability to 
have peace and freedom in my own mind. And of course, it's not like that all the time. Like, like yesterday was a, was a, not a terrible day, but yesterday was a really, really interesting day um, mm-hmm. where I was definitely human. But I think the biggest thing is because I lived my life in one mode for almost a decade and I got direct exposure of how terrible that is mm-hmm. and how horrible that is. And now that's just like built a, like that's just built like an addiction, like a switch inside of my brain to not only continuously upgrade from that, but also help other people do it and then see other people's um, like spark in their eyes see like their heart jolt like i know like again i host a podcast so i can't really tell unless someone specifically like writes me a message and tells me but if i'm like at an event or something i see it happen all the time where like i'll say something and then i'll just like look up at the crowd and i'll just see like one person's face just like the like just like it's like wait what the like they just like question everything they've ever known that to me is what really like that's what gets me going man because when I look at all the problems in the world, and again, I think personally, I think the world is still awesome. I think it's great. We're doing much better, but there's always going to be problems, whether you're talking about climate change or the whole, you know, this whole coronavirus and our health and other aspects of our health. When I look at all those problems and I look at, for me, my biggest issue, which was like from the age of nine, 10, uh, experiencing some trauma and using social anxiety as a mask, using social anxiety as a suit of armor, the same way whenever anything bad happens in someone else's life, we also put on these suits of armor. And for me, it was being the shy kid. And for some other people, it might be being the the prettiest girl in school or might Mm. be being the most intelligent, academically great guy because you associate your parents' love with good grades earlier on and that's all you do as a coping mechanism. And so I went through that in my life and there was a time where I was suicidal at one point. There was a time where I was seriously depressed when I was like 18. So this is like four years ago, not even that long ago. And I really saw like... I really saw what can happen for someone if they don't take care of their physical health and their mental health for a period of time. And like for me, my parents came to America with 200 bucks in their pocket. We lived off like government housing, no food. But yet when I was earlier on as like a teenager, I made a ton of money and I became financially independent. And so I had a ton of money and I achieved success but I, but that's actually where a lot of my mental health issues really began to surface. And so for me, when I look at all the problems in the world and I view social anxiety as like sort of my purpose, as like what I was sort of dealt with, the card that I was handed out with in life that I thankfully came out of. And then I look at the data and the science and the statistics and you look at the fact that social anxiety is the most common mental health issue and it is heavily correlated to substance abuse disorder and social isolation, both of which are heavily correlated to suicide, both of which all of those problems I had and I almost fell down. And so the reason why I do what I do is because of all this. That's why I have a book and I'm 22 years old. It's not because I'm trying to brand myself, bro. It's not because I'm trying to like grow my brand or, or whatever. I mean, for sure, I guess in some ways, but it's like, 
this book has to exist because there are a lot of people out there who are might be entrepreneurs, who might not be, who might be adults, who might be little kids, who don't know how to talk to people, who want to be social, who want to communicate, but their brain doesn't let them. And most of the world confuses them as just being an introvert or being quiet. And that's two to- to- totally separate things. And so, yeah, I know that's kind of long-winded, but that's why I do what I do. <laughs> that's, that's a really great answer. That's a really great answer. Thanks. One bro. thing... And also thanks for sharing because you add, you know, you have your science, you have some really solid models of how everything fits together. But then what really gives it like the extra juice is that you share your own experience as well. So I thought it might be useful for me to like give you a little bit of my experience on this as well. Because you mentioned one of the things that drives you is sparking these changes in other people. And the last time when we spoke, I was actually having a really bad time. So I had had some health problems in my family, uh, I had problems in the business, all sorts of stuff, all sorts of e- e- external stuff, you know? And we were talking and I said something along the lines of like, yeah, you know, sleep is important, but you know, if you gotta, if, if, if you gotta do your job, then fuck sleep, bro. And then you said, well, actually, I disagree with that. And then I had like this moment, like when I was in bed that night, I was like, how could I say something so stupid? You know, because... It, because intellectually, I had understood, like, you got to take care of yourself first. Right. Only when you're a strong individual can you have good relationships. And only if you have good relationships, you can run a company. Because my agency, mm. we work with people, right? So you mentioning that that spark drives you, there's for sure something about you in the way you communicate and the way you share and the way you put things together that allows you to actually bring that spark to other people. So thank you for doing that. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. That's going to make a sick piece of micro content, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I was blessed to get uh, an early manuscript of your book. Um, I, tried to, I, get, I tried to get as far as possible. I got about halfway through. It was nice. phenomenal. It was phenomenal. Thanks, One of the man. things I really, really liked about it is I can see uh, some of the places that you've taken inspiration from. You know, I saw some influences from Juval Noah Harari, for sure. Ooh, I, saw some yeah. Jordan, I saw some Jordan Peterson in there. I saw a little mm. bit of Mark Manson in there. Mm. And what I appreciate so much about this is that I can see you've gone through some of the same source material as I have, added mm. to that your own thinking. But mm. what you've really done very well, in my opinion, is taking those separate pieces of information and concepts and mm. and whatever and put them into something that people can use and use on a day-to-day basis <laughs> you have no idea how happy that makes me man so so happy i think um i think so one thing right so i think this actually goes back to like um i think this goes back to like what people tell me when they're afraid to start a podcast they say like dude i can't start a podcast because i don't know more than gary v or i don't know more than tim ferris and what i always say is like Listen, there's there's like almost 8 billion people out there. Every single one of those people has a different perspective. And so you can reach a perspective that you m- might be saying like the same values as someone like Jordan Peterson or Mark Manson might be saying, but you're reaching a different part of the world. And so for me, you know, um I m- I mention all those people in my book directly except for um Harari. Um but um, 
But yeah, I mean, to me, it's just like I'm a summation of not just the books that I've read and the source materials, but also, you know, my life and, and the experiences and the experiments that I've run. But I'm just so, so, so like, I'm so hell bent on that because as a podcaster, I have recorded an episode that is the same, right? So like audio file wise, there's no change. But yet, depending on what episode I give that to, that can affect somebody differently. And more often than not, it has to do with their own perspective. And so you can hear something literally said to you the same way every single time. But if someone says it to you in a slightly different way, or maybe depending on other aspects of like how you're feeling that day, or even like the ambiance of like the environment, the lighting in the room, you can perceive it in a different way. And like for me, um, I really think that's one of my gifts. And I think it's because um, I didn't really communicate with people for so long in my life that I feel like I, again, everyone is different in their own way, but I feel like I really am sort of different when it comes to that because I basically didn't really communicate for the first part of my life. And then I had to like play catch up and try to my best to communicate and try to learn all these different things. And so I think that's given me the ability and you're not the only person where I've heard that from. And so I hear this all the time from people and that's like my number one most important thing because listen, man, I could be on this podcast with you. We could speak for hours. I could go on Joe Rogan's podcast tomorrow. Him and I can speak for hours. I could write 35 books. Okay. At the end of the day, if people are not understanding what I'm saying, there's no point. If I'm just copying and pasting what everyone else has already talked about, there's no point. And so I think for me, I'm just always hell bent on whatever I do, whether it's a podcast, book, anything. I'm always like, how is the other person going to perceive this? And how can I make it hit them and impact them as hard as it hit me and impacted me? Because that is, I think that's like my real business. You know, it's not content creation. It's not writing books. It's not whatever. That's really it. Because at the end of the day, it's like numbers are numbers and, and science is science and data is data. But if you can learn how to package that, and I, I thank God, I really thank God that I've been marketing online for the last 10 years, that I also understand the marketing world and I know how to package these different things up has given me, I think, a real advantage that's enabled me to kind of... um like break from other people who are doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, what I, what I like about what you just said is, you know, it's not just about sharing the data, you know, it's not about this is, this is the facts. This is the facts. This is the facts, but it's about packaging that in a way that's going to impact whatever individual is on the other side of the screen. Right. Mm. So one of the things we've talked about previously as well is that you have had a couple of big wins. You know, you've had your Minecraft server, you've had your podcast, you've, you've been invited as a speaker, you've managed to get, uh, get some really good mentors. Mm. And then for your first book, you decide to write about shyness and so social and social anxiety. You've yeah. answered it a little bit like just now, but why is it that you want to tackle shyness first compared to, okay, I'm going to, make a book about how to start a podcast or a Minecraft right. server or whatever. <laughs> right. Dude, dude, if I, you have no idea how much I battled with this for, but dude, if I made a book on how to start a podcast, bro, I'd be like the next, uh, John Lee Dumas, the next Jordan Harbinger of podcasting. But I think I'm definitely, I'm not necessarily going to write a book on podcasting. I'm going to try to mix both of them on like how to 
be a thought leader while you're also introverted and call it like digital introversion or something like that. But for me, like I'm 22 and uh, I know I'm going to live, thankfully, hopefully, uh, a happy, long, healthy life. And I know I'm going to write a lot of other books. You know, writing this book was honestly terrible. <laughs> it's like one of the worst things I've ever had to do in my life. But uh, I know I'm going to write a ton of books because the meaning behind it is equally, or no, it's much more, it, it's worth the pain and it's worth the time where you, you're spending it alone and you're not with your friends and you're just writing this thing. And so the reason why I chose shyness and social anxiety first is because I really feel like this is my problem, right? So like everyone has different problems growing up. For some people it might be the fact that, um, you know, they like their parents made fun of them because they were fat as a kid. And so now they have an eating disorder. And so now their entire life, every single thought that they have gets filtered through that lens. Okay. Or whether it's, you know, someone's like, Hey, I'm, I come from India and I started a business and now I'm a billionaire. That's my problem, how to get out of poverty. And so I think everyone has like their own, like that card that they were dealt with. And so for me, that's, that's social anxiety, hands down. And before I knew anything about self-development, mindset, uh, entrepreneurship, any of this stuff, the first issue that I realized I had was social anxiety. It was being shy. And like, I talk about this in the book and it's like, up to this point in my life, I had never realized it. I never knew I was, I was shy or I was socially anxious. The first time I realized it was when I was at a college party and I got drunk for the first time in my life. And because of that, you know, alcohol is an inhibitor. It shuts off the part of your brain that factors in social judgment for a temporary period of time. And so I experienced a version of my life of who I would be if I wasn't socially anxious. Mm -hmm. And so ever since that moment, that was like the problem for me. And then as I have been working on myself, I very quickly realized this is just, um, this is just one problem <laughs> in a sea an ocean of many other problems that I'm going to write a ton of other books on. And so one of them is like, this is sort of my problem. This is, mm. this is something that I experienced to a real severe degree. And I know number two is that nobody's talking to this group of people. Nobody's talking to this audience. There are people out there who have books on like how to be more confident and how to network better. Uh, yeah. But in my opinion, those are very, um, those are very limiting. You know, for, not everyone has social anxiety. They're Maybe symptomatic, you know? Yeah, they're symptomatic. And so for me in my book, I wanted to, from all these people who I've learned from, whether it's Mark Manson, Jordan, Jordan Peterson, or other people who I've had on my podcast or not, um, I have sort of learned the root cause, the real human nature, uh, human behavior, psychology, neuroscience, and then spirituality. And I've learned a lot of these things. And by no means am I an expert in any of them. I'm a student in all of them. But I feel like I have this very unique perspective, not just because of my story, but because of how I've got out of it that is unparalleled to anybody in the world. And then last, and I didn't even finish my thought. I, I, I was beginning to say this at the beginning of the first answer, but it's, I was saying on how there's all these problems in the world, right? There's climate change, uh, health, viruses, immunology, economics, marketing, people spending too much money on the wrong. I mean, there's a thousand issues mm. pick up. And so on top of the fact that social anxiety is a much bigger issue because it's heavily correlated with substance abuse and a drug addiction and social isolation and suicide. When I look at all those problems, 
me being sort of a technological optimist, I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, we're just one solution away from that problem being fixed forever. Okay. It might not be that simple for everything, but it's like, we're one solution away from, you know, the person who invented the antibiotics, you know, has saved billions of people's of lives. When they invented a toilet, they were finally able to have some sanitation and lower those diseases. Um, when, when Alan Turing in World War II invented the computer, and then we took that on and we were able, um, the allies were able to defeat the Germans and ultimately change the course of the world. All that stuff happened from either one person or a group of a small group of people. Okay. And so when I look at that and I'm like, wow, if one of those geniuses has social anxiety, wants to speak to the world, like I once did, but can't, there is a possibility that they might not end up doing that thing because they can't talk to people because Mm. they communicate to themselves. And the real detrimental part about social anxiety is it's not just about other people. It's not just about your behavior and how you might be nervous to speak to other people. Social anxiety, uh, a, a, a clinical psychologist up here in Boston University where I live, um, she has also defined social anxiety as an excessive need to manage one's own self-image. Mm. And so when you're talking about your self-image, you're doing that even when you're not with other people. And so that can even change the way that you think about yourself. That can even change your own identity, the way that you think about yourself. And so when I was looking at social anxiety, I was like, man, there is one, this doesn't exist. Two, this is sort of like my problem. I'm going to write a lot of other books, but this book doesn't exist. I need to get it out there. And then number three of like, the world actually needs this. You know, I could have spent more time. I could have spent more money, more time editing, more time, whatever, to make a better book. And I'm definitely going to release different versions and editions of this book. But I'm just like trying to put this out there as fast as I can, because I know if I can do that, then maybe one person can also take a similar path that I took where I was suicidal, but didn't kill myself. And so that's a big part of it. And then, and then if I can unlock that potential for someone, if I can give this book to someone who can't talk to other people, and they can use it to help them unlock their own skills, their own sort of unique gifts in the world, and communicate those with other people, that's the best case scenario, man. And, and I've yet to see a book like that. So we'll see. It's pretty crazy. There's a lot of, really a lot of stuff to um, put back in your, in your answer just now. The, the idea about, you know, like your thoughts of, of how you want to be perceived, there's so much of that in, you know, like there's so much ego in that and learning to recognize the ego and learning to understand that your mind is just a bunch of programs working together. That's such a crazy part about this journey into, you know, self-awareness. Mm. It sounds to me like that what you've basically done is you've, you've looked at, you know, 15 year old Mark and you're like, what book do you need little Mark? And then you just, <laughs> yeah, you just wrote that book. One yeah. thing I really, what, can, can I, I say something? Yeah, 100%. Can I say what you said on ego? Sure. So, um, um, so, so in my book, there's a section on this. It's called um, Shyness as an Alternative Mask or as False Confidence. And what this chapter is about, it's really all about ego in the sense of this. Okay. So, a major part of our ego is about constructing our social identity to be viewed as other people the way that we want them to, 
Okay. That's a major part. That's why you see people, um, you know, buying a ton of fancy cars or, um, Hey, can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you 100%. Okay. So like a major reason why you see people who have egos that are undealt with and unmanaged, you know, take pictures of like super fancy cars, take pictures next to them, like all the time with like models that they just met, like on, in a line or something, or they paid the money from Instagram or some crazy stuff like that is because we have a massive ego. And so what I kind of talk about in this chapter of my book is because, um, your ego is always trying to find the most outward, most superficial form of your identity and then perfectly display that up to the entire world. Okay. And so for me, that was, I would rather not deal with the social pressures and judgments from my peers. So I'm just not going to have any friends. <laughs> and so for me, that was sort of this mask that I put on myself to hide myself from the world. That mask was my ego. And so what begins to happen is as we play out life, right? And as, you know, maybe someone listening, maybe they didn't use shyness as a mask. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was boasting with money. Maybe it was boasting with their body. Maybe it was even boasting with their health. Everyone has a different version of it. And so as I was sort of growing up and as I was constantly pushing this image, you begin to realize that it is not you and it requires so much energy. It requires so much fuel to constantly manage your ego that you're trying to show in front of the entire world. And so a major part of this is like, the way that I view about it is I view it as like, um, and Will Smith talks about this. The way that I view it is like Hollywood characters. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you're an actor, okay you get a role in a movie and you play this character, okay? We do the same thing in our lives. Depending on the period of our lives, we're like, hey, we're going to be the, the smart person or we're going to be the, 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 the rich kid or we're going to be this. And so we choose that all the times. And then when our ego, when our character gets to the end of that because of some terrible thing that happens, we're like, you became the money person and you're super rich, but then all of a sudden, like all your friends now don't even care about money. And now, now they're all about like peace and Zen and happiness. And so now you're like, wait, crap, I just did all this and it doesn't really mean anything. So then you try to switch boats. You try to switch characters into a different ego that can play on. And it can also be a short lived thing, but I think it's the moment where you realize you're in a game with your ego mm. is the moment where you gain real self-awareness. Like I, people interview me all the time and you're like, Mark, you're, you're so self-aware, you know, you don't have an ego and it's like, yeah, I have, <laughs> I have a massive ego and I know I, I might, uh, have a better perspective on it or I might angle it in a better position to where I understand it. And it's not running me, I'm running it, but it's going to change, you know, like Two months from now, it's going to change. The ego is always this delicate dance. And so I think, I think that's what real self-awareness is. I think real self-awareness is understanding that it's impossible to completely delete your ego, but to make a good relationship with it and to, you know, get it on good terms so that 
it's not it's not being the puppet master and you're not the puppet you understand that sometimes you're the puppet and sometimes you try to be the puppet master and so there's so many analogies on that but ultimately it's like ego does not mean you're super confident i talk about this and nobody gets it and i think it's a good sort of it seems like an oxymoron but it's not I had such low self-confidence. I had such low self-esteem because I had social anxiety, but yet I had a massive ego, massive ego, because that's what my ego was. And so mm-hmm. that's like the most important thing. It can get a little bit confusing trying to understand that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think it's super important. Because I think what, uh, uh, one easy way to understand ego is that it's basically the part of your brain that tells the story about yourself. It's like, mm. oh, Stafo, you're a marketer. Oh, Stafo, you're a guy that goes to the gym. Oh, Stafo, you're good, the guy that does jiu-jitsu, you know? And then when it's created this story, it wants it so bad to be true. And it will, and it will fuck with your mind in every possible way just so it can keep believing that it's true. One other thing that I really enjoyed about your book is that is is how you've structured it. One of the first uh, few chapters, uh, I, I forgot how you called it, but how I read it was basically, yeah. okay, boys and girls, this is how reality works. We're going <laughs> to align ourselves with reality, and then we're going to build up all our thinking from ground zero. And ground zero is we each live in our individual realities. Uh, yeah. personally, I had a really big insight on, on the separate realities thing. When I read this book, Clarity by Jamie Smart, um, who you should totally have on your show one day, my favorite author, um, I can introduce you, but that was what, that was the moment that I realized I was like, oh shit, I am creating my own reality. And then I'm just navigating this reality that I've built for myself. How was it that you came to this insight that is like, Hey, your reality is separate from mine. Yeah. So, so really what I began to understand was that, um, what I really began to understand is that, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this in just sort of like a, like a data scientific empirical view. I'm very much someone who, um, would define themselves as, uh, as spiritual and, and sometimes in the gray area of life because that exists. But I really do believe that our lives are a series of our biological processes Mm -hmm. uh, excreting different brain chemicals and neurotransmitters firing. Mm. I think at the end of the day, that's what life is. And I think it works the same way with everyone else's mental model. And like, you, you can break this down to a very, like to like a massive degree. Like I talk about this in my book and you know, our brains are these super complex uh, meta supercomputers, but they're also these supercomputers that um, that can be wrong, and they are just like anything in life, prone to failure and prone to mistakes. And so, when you um, life essentially can be broken down into by your brain into a series of a few problems. And what I mean is like, as our brain has evolved through thousands of years, it's learned different tricks. It's learned different backdoors. It's learned different shortcuts to make our living easier and better. So like the way that I, the way that I think about this is like the same way that if you're on a computer and you know, keyboard shortcuts and you're trying to copy and paste something instead of 
going to that text and right-clicking it and hitting copy, and you go to the other one, you right-click and you hit paste, you can just hit control C and then you can hit control V on your mm-hmm. keyboard and it does that. Our brain does the same thing, but with but with cognitive biases, okay? And cognitive biases and distortions, these are essentially, there's no exact number on them, but they're essentially anywhere from 68 to up to 200 of these cognitive biases and distortions that help our brain think. So for example, one of these cognitive biases and distortions is if there is too much information going on, we are going to ignore what's happening and just move with the information that we have stored previously in our memory. Uh, another one is um, another one is like the very famous popular negativity bias of like if you experience five events today and four of them are positive, but one of them is negative, your brain is going to be thinking about that negative one again and again and again, much more than the positive ones. Because negative information is valued more in a survival sense because it could help you survive. And so that's like the whole sort of theme of this. It's like our brain has evolved through thousands of years to help us survive, not just through physical uh, threats in our environment, like, you know, the classic, oh my God, a tiger is going to jump out of the bushes and kill you if you don't hear that sound, or you don't have enough food because you haven't been rationing and thinking and organizing enough in your brain. But our brains have also gone on to develop potential future advanced threats in our social environment with other people, with all these other mental models, with all these other hundreds of cognitive biases running around. And so everyone has that to a degree. And it, and if you look at the science behind it, depending on how that is functioning in your brain, because there can be malfunctions. So for example, people who have mental health problems are either, um, their, their body and brain is producing too much of a, seroto- of a neurotransmitter called serotonin or too little. And so when you actually look at the science and you break it down, the same time, like when you are, um, you know, experiencing happiness or when you are experiencing sadness, there are different chemical meters of serotonin, of oxytocin, of a hundred other brain chemicals that are literally just moving yourself and your emotions and your thoughts and your state of mind and your existence ultimately um, throughout the space of time. And so essentially, this is the way that life works. You know, the, the brain is encompassed by darkness, right? Like your brain is encompassed by your skull right? uh, Enclosed by complete darkness. And it relies on, yes, your brain and also relies on the information and thoughts and feelings it gets from your eyes, from your mouth, from your nose, from your different sensors. And then also your memory of what's happened to you in the past. And, you know, they've done studies and they've shown that where people were in environments that, um, uh, that did have social anxiety where they were in a negative environment where either they thought people around them were negative to them and not inviting, or that really was the case. Mm. And they found that they have a lower amount of serotonin, which has all sorts of dysfunctions from like, they've shown that if you have low serotonin, 
your vision is not as colorful. Your vision mm. is not as vibrant. And so for me, when you're, when I was in it, you can't tell, but now that I've gotten out of it, I really don't even think I've experienced color. Like, it's like the weirdest thing to say, but like now when I look at the sky and there was a, there was like a clear moment where this happened for me, but like now I see green, I see bright, I see the sun is flashing through my eyes. It's very bright before when I was like super depressed and anxious, I never saw that. I was just like, what was that moment? Yeah, man. So the moment was me in the middle of like 2017, earlier 2017. And it was where I was making all these changes. I was rewiring my brain. I was doing all these sorts of things. And um, I had this moment where I walked outside with a friend of mine. I was living with a roommate at that time and we walked outside. And I remember having to tie my shoe. I remember having to kneel down and tie my shoe. And my friend was talking to me. And so I look up and all of a sudden, I just see like through the trees, like some leaves are falling. I see the sun shining and I just get hit with like this moment of like realization, this moment of clarity, this like insane moment of, um, of just warmth and, um, and, uh, and uh, just it, like extreme happiness. And I remember like seeing my eyes being stretched to like, like, have you ever seen like that cartoon where it's like, it looks inside someone's yeah. eyes and there's like a universe that's like being shattered. Yeah. That's exactly what happened to me. And like, again, since this was all sort of in my, in like, in my own mind, there's only so much I can really be aware of and perceive, but I felt like for the first time I was seeing like vibrant vision through my eyes for the first time in my life. And, and I mean, I don't know if this is related or not. I, I don't know, but also at the same time where I was just beginning to get socially anxious and experience that trauma in my life. That's also the time where I got glasses in my life mm. happened. So I don't know if that's connected. I don't know. It's not scientific. It's just very much anecdotal, but, um, but yeah, it, it's so true. And so basically every single person has like this chemical pharmacy running around in their brain that is controlling their behavior. It is controlling their perspective. It is controlling their thoughts, which in turn is controlling their behavior, how they're experiencing the world, the people they know. And so once you understand this, again, it goes from like, you go from like this moral failing of like, oh my God, problems in my life. Why is this happening to me? Or if you are socially anxious, you're like, I can't talk to people. Or maybe you have some other mental health issue. I'm, I'm depressed. I have no energy. What's wrong with me? I'm so stupid, all this stuff. And then you're like, wait, 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 wait. This is just a very advanced series of knobs and levers firing in my brain. And the same thing is happening with other people. Maybe this is not a super emotional, super personal problem for me because I'm some sort of a failure. Maybe this is just a, a, a sort of ability for me to see this differently, to see this from a different perspective. Because like when you don't have this perspective, Every time someone says something mean to you or you perceive it as mean and you get hit with like that emotional punch, that emotional punch can still, it's, it's always still sort of there, but you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do with my life? But I think as you sort of begin to understand uh, the truth of neuroscience, the truth of our society, and you really begin to realize that everyone else has these around all times of the day, and that's what's controlling their behavior, it can make you seem from a very... um come from like a very non-judgmental 
standpoint, which I think is super important because I think the biggest reason why people never change themselves is because they don't love themselves. The reason why people don't love themselves is because they haven't accepted themselves. The reason why they haven't accepted themselves is because they haven't forgiven themselves because they're so judgmental of themselves from the data that they've picked up from other people, from parents, from teachers yelling at you. And so I think that's super important to keep in mind. It's a great question. That's beautiful. <laughs> Here's something else I've been thinking about uh, when I was preparing for, for today. So I really like the name of your podcast, Human 2.0. And what I was thinking is, okay, so if you're a regularly performing human, you're, let's say, on Human 1.0. But then when you're talking about life in your, let's say, social anxiety days, that's, that sounds to me when I read it like Human 0.0. And then what I think is so interesting is, you know, there's a lot of books to go from zero to normal. And there's a bunch of books to go from normal to the next level. But what do you think is the difference between, you know, going from zero to one and then going from one to two? Hmm. Ooh, that's a, that's a brilliant question, man. So, um, so I think it's, I think it's this, I mean, I think, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think we might need to define some definitions real quick, but for me, I personally believe that everyone by default is human version 1.0. Okay. This is this, this, mm -hmm. what it means is this is, this is the default mode. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is like, you're born into whatever ideas, beliefs, anything that you have and the actions that lead up to that. And you're following society's default path, whether that's for your job or not for your job and for your belief system or for your health, whatever. Human 2.0 is when you really understand that you are conscious of life and you can control it. And you try to move to that next level, that next area of your life in every aspect of your life. And it's kind of like one of those ego things where like, you never really, you never really stay there. It's always moving. There's always another level. And so you're always trying to hit human 2.0. For me, Right now, I think today's been a human 2.0 day. Yesterday was not a human 2.0 day by any means, but by the end of the day, I, I made it into a human 2.0 day because I fixed my mindset, and my perspective on it. Now, I think what makes people go from, or what the difference is between zero to one, I think zero is you just sort of going through life. And what I'm talking about is like, Everyone is going through the motions from, from the second you, you start off, even if you're trying to chase success, you're going through the motions, you're going through the path. And then I think if you're lucky enough, you can have a problem and you can get smacked right in your face by that problem. Okay. And you're moving on this path, but then all of a sudden you have to stop because now you're viewed by this new obstruction, this new boundary that you've never experienced in your life. And when that happens, you have to rethink everything. You have to change the way that you think every, with every way, change your life around to get past that big problem. And so I think that's, that's zero to one. I think it's you just sort of going through the layers, but then one is you realize there's a problem. I think it's that conscious awareness, but then whether you do something about it or not, that's a whole other story. You know, there's a, like that, there's that whole difference between you can just know something, you can have yeah. knowledge, you can have information, but not bring that into knowledge, not bring that into application 
which eventually becomes wisdom, which is who, who you become at like your, your being level. That to me is the difference between one and one and two and then zero to one. Does that make sense? Definitely. Definitely. I also saw some hints of this in your book that, that actually one of the things that triggered me into thinking about this was you were talking about journaling, which is also something I've taken up uh, since a while ago. It's, I think it's immensely valuable, but you've given me some insight on that, that I actually, that I had articulated in different ways, but never like this. And you basically mm -hmm. said like, okay, so the mind works in a series of feedback loops. You can have negative feedback loops, which is, which is, you know, like, oh, I did that. That means I'm bad. If I'm bad, I'm not worth it, and so forth, and so, and so forth. Then writing those down allows you to be conscious of the loop and allows you to be like, okay, brain, you're being dumb right now. Let's just stop doing this. And then you have the opposite when you start writing down what you're grateful for, which is pretty much creating new loops that were non-existent previously and that kind of like are loops that drive you forward. And then what I'm hearing you talk when I, right now, what occurred to me was that going from one to zero is basically buying into these negative loops and to never get out of them. And then around, if you stay at one, it's kind of like, okay, you're in, you have a balance of the both loops. You have some negative, mm -hmm. some, some positive, and you stay kind of like stationary. And then what I, what I heard or what I find like, what I got from you just now is that when you have your loops pushing you upwards, that's when you're going towards 2.0. What do you think of that little idea I just had? <laughs> Dude, I, uh, I, I, I love it. And I think that the big thing to realize is like, um, I think the big thing about this is like, it's about our, um, these feedback loops. The reason why it's so important is because a lot of these feedback loops are hidden. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, you know, you might say something, you might be in a conversation with someone, and then not even the conscious part of your mind, but the unconscious part of your mind that isn't being activated because you're focusing on like being in a meeting right now, or you're, mm. you're, I don't know, having a different conversation with a friend, but you're still kind of thinking about these back end problems. The reason why it's so dangerous is because it can have the same effect, but you have no idea it's mm. going on. And then without that conscious awareness, again, you're like, wow, I guess I'm just a negative person. Wow. I'm mm. just, I guess, uh, a depressed person, which then solidifies your label and then moves that feedback, the negative feedback loop more and more and more. But now it's in your identity, which is even worse. And so the big part about writing is just because it's just, it's just a part of it is becoming conscious of these mm. thoughts. And like, it, it, it can seem very like to someone listening to this podcast or live stream, it can seem very logical. Your brain, like you're hearing this and you're like, Oh, well, I'm just going to think about what I think about right now while I'm <laughs> listening to this. No, it does not work the same way. If you sit down with a pen and paper, or I do this on my iPad so that I can see all these notes like on my iPhone, it's all stored digitally. And I sit down and I start thinking and writing at the same time. And let's just say I'm just sort of like writing my stream of consciousness. I'm writing just like the raw thoughts that are in my brain. I get access to the thoughts that are actually proving the emotion that I'm in while I'm writing it, which gives me more awareness. And by doing that, next time that you're not in a notebook, you're building that awareness. And so I think, again, I think it's so easy to listen to as many podcasts as you want to, to read as many great books as you want to, but you're, oh, but you're stuck in like this, this mind numbing 
uh, self-help content addiction loop that is constantly reaffirming you. And, and I mean, listen, dude, I'm a big fan of marketing when it's done right. But dude, there is so much toxic marketing. It is disgusting. There are so many, like, I think marketers are the best psychologists, like marketers. And the fact that you are one, and, and so am I, I think it's the fact that, and also like you've, you've learned from a lot of people and you're a very multifaceted guy. It's the fact that you're taking interest in what I'm saying and a lot of other marketers too. There is so much toxic marketing out there that if someone is in the wrong spot in their lives, they are so easily susceptible to substances, not even physical substances, but other kinds. It's so easy to, because of toxic marketing, because of the the money that um, companies put into psychology, to understand how the human mind works. It's so easy to take advantage of that. And that puts people in a feedback loop in the outside world that's even more damaging, right? It's like, it's like this, right? So you, you break up with your girlfriend, okay? You guys were just in a serious relationship. You're heartbroken. You're so lost. You don't know what to do with your life. And, and then let's say you're like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to try to get over this girl. I'm going to try to find a new girl. I'm going to try to move on, make a new page, right? So then you go to your Instagram and you type in, um, I don't know, dating, or you type in models, or you type in girls, or you type in whatever. And you now see these chicks, you're like, oh yeah, look at that girl. You know, she's, she's so hot. Oh yeah, she's so much better than my, than my girlfriend, or, or she's a part of this. So then you're like, wow, you know, that's, that's awesome, right? And let's, say, let's say nothing happens because of that. Let's say you walk off, and then tomorrow you come back, it's a brand new day. You now open your Instagram first thing in the morning because that's what most people do. <laughs> and you now in your natural normal feed are seeing pictures of models and are seeing pictures of, of girls with exaggerated features or maybe not. I don't know. And then now you're like, now you're in a different state of mind where you don't just say, I want a new page. Let's say you're still feeling sad about your girl. Okay. Yeah. And you look at these pictures and you're like, fuck. And then let's say you start to get like, I don't know some sexual thoughts and you're like, man, I wish I could have sex with my girlfriend again, like back then. And then it brings you down like this whole spiral of that, of like another feedback loop. But now it's not just in your head. Now it's also in the outside world. And so, mm. um, I think that's something else to watch out for. But I think, like you said, just by beginning to, to write these things down, by beginning to journal both stream of consciousness, which might be negative thoughts and also you know, what you're grateful towards. Cause that's an emotion that can open up your brain. I think those are super, super important. And then even sometimes like I ask myself like a journaling prompt is I ask myself, like, what am I pretending not to deal with right now? What am I pretending mm -hmm. to not know about myself? And that seems like such a crazy question, but when you sit down for like an extended period of time, not in just like the first five minutes where the logical part of your brain gives you some BS answer, but it's <laughs> like the emotional part that's deep that we might not even be conscious of at all times. That can be extremely powerful. And then, and then other things like asking myself questions, you know, because I think writing down what you're grateful for is really important for sure. But like the thing that I had to realize, man, is like, you cannot, you cannot think your way to success. Like you cannot mm. think just better, more positive, happier thoughts. You have to disrupt them and then make a conscious effort to go towards the positive while you have other physical feedback loops going on. But the reason why 
um, it's so important to ask yourself questions is because if you're just always writing down, like, I'm grateful for this, I'm grateful for that, I'm grateful for this, your, your brain is going to form another habit loop. Your brain is going to mm. form another routine loop where it's going to lose its meaning against being grateful itself. And so if you can stop and write down a question, even if it's not your question, but other people's questions, and you can sit down questions are what open up the mind to new perspective. It's not by just giving it information. That's why like at the bottom of all my chapters, there's always questions for people to sit down and ask because I think it's so, so, so important to before someone's mind is closed off and then you just put a, a ton of information on it. You just put stacks and stacks and stacks. Their, their mind is still closed. But if, if a person's mind is still closed and you can help them open it, nobody can open your mind for you by maybe asking a question. Like this is what therapy is. They just ask you questions and someone can open their own mind by opening up a question. Now it begins to shift the angle and you can kind of get in some of these things, this information that you normally can't get in. This is why, for example, at the beginning of this talk, when I told you, um, like I'm really addicted to seeing like a spark happen in someone's eyes. It's because they've opened up a part of their mind and they're letting new information in. You know, I think that again, it depends, especially on like the newest science and stuff, but I think everyone knows everything. I think mm. it's just a matter of unlearning a lot of things that we have faced earlier on. And then also just understanding the way that reality in our brains work to best sort of optimize these practices to in the fastest, most efficient, most sustainable way, get people on the right track. Mm. I, I like what you said about questions because I've had this suspicion for a while that the reason you start your podcast with what are you doing here on earth is to take people kind of like out of their automatic answering loop because you know just as well as me that if people that are used to being on podcasts, they have yeah. such an easy time just like saying like the regular lines. So pop it. So this is this is this has been great so far. And I, I originally I was planning to go a little bit deeper into the tactical stuff around shyness, but then mm -hmm. as I was going through the book a little bit more, again, what I realized is that the book itself is going to be more than enough to make anybody take action so and it's also it's going to be for free at least the digital version so if anybody wants to take action on getting over their shyness getting over the social anxiety i think they should just straight up go for the book it's it's not that it's it's written in an easily understandable fashion and it's not that long so the people should just not no, be lazy no, no. And, and go for the book but Super this is yeah but this is a marketing podcast, so I would still yes. like to cover just a tiny little bit of marketing today. Yes. One of the things, uh, so, so a lot of my clients have podcasts, um, a, lo a lot of my friends have podcasts, not so many of them seem to really get traction. What do you think is the difference between, get, is between a podcast that is having good traction, increasing listeners per episode's on a consistent basis compared to a podcast that is thrown out there and goes in the wind. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so dude, I mean, you know, better than me, I could talk to you for years about like different, like growth marketing tactics mm -hmm. and all, and all this stuff too. But honestly, um, I think the biggest thing is, um, you caring about your podcast. And what mm -hmm. I mean is like, 
again, I'm in the same business. A lot of companies, a lot of people start podcasts and it's just like sort of to have a podcast, mm. sort of to have like a content strategy so I can like, so I can post stuff on my social media every day for my guests, or I can just kind of start this podcast for my startup so we can get more clients or maybe interview our clients um, that then can become our clients. And so I think that that's the first part because ultimately, man, I mean, at the end of the day, um, there's more podcasts out there than ever. And there's more people out there for sure listening to podcasts than ever. But I think it's like the average podcast listener listens to seven podcasts yeah. on a regular basis. And so for me, I'm always trying to ask myself, how can I get myself to be a person like on someone's like a finger? Oh yeah. I listen to this podcast. I listen to humans 2.0. And so I think the main thing comes down to is you have to ask yourself, what, what is the main constant in my show? Like in all my episodes, like you could, you could have a sick guest like me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you, could have, <laughs> you could have an awesome guest. Like I recently had on um, this guy named uh, Jay Shetty and I had on this other guy named Max uh, Lugavre, both very pretty well-known people. And, um, and, and to me, it's like, yeah, I might get some listeners because of that, because I put it on my social media and like, that's the incremental way to grow for sure. Mm. But, um, but to me, it's like the one constant is me. The one mm. constant of my podcast is me. And so I think if you can show up to an environment the same exact way that you just did with an understanding of who I am, like what I do for a living, what I, what the things that are important to me, what I'm trying to promote. And then also take like a deep dive on that. And then also find a way to relate it to yourself, to make it digestible for like you to process is so important. And like one of the things that I realized, man, is like when people listen to podcasts and as the host, and when I'm hosting my podcast, it's the same thing. When a guest says something, it doesn't necessarily mean that they said it in the most understandable way or that people actually understood it. Mm. And so if people are maybe used to your perspective, not 100% of the time, I would do what you just did. So like I said something and then you're like, hey, to me, this is the way that it sounds or, or this is my thoughts on it. And so I think what's really happening there is when the host is talking, when the host is speaking in between I'm speaking, that is a time for like the audience to digest and process the, the guest thoughts in real time. Because like, I don't know about you, but like for me, it, it can take me a while to kind of like connect the dots. It can take me a while to process things. And so I'm not necessarily a fast learner. I don't digest things super fast. And so for me, it can take a while. And so for me, like if a go, if a host is not necessarily able to recap, but offer it in a different perspective, package up in a different way, every time the host says that, and then maybe offer something new, I think that's like the best way to do it. And as you do this, people are going to listen to your podcast for like 40 minutes, 45 minutes, the full hour. And if mm. you can get people to listen to that full hour, I mean, that's, that's where the number one form of marketing for podcasts kicks in, which is word of mouth. The number mm. one way to grow your podcast is word of mouth, but it's not like you can exactly like, it's not like you can, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure there is a way, but it's not like you can like, there's no startup out there that's like hiring people and, and telling them to tell their friends on how to <laughs> do it. It's not like, you know, it's not like you can just put this in like ad spend. Right. And that's mm. exactly why, like, there's been a lot of podcasting companies and people who have started podcasts who have quit because they've mm. started them 
they've done all the like the production things like off the checklist, like good camera, good mic, ABC, you have good audio, all the stuff. But then it's like, wait, your host sucks. Like <laughs> you just like grab somebody from your company. They don't even care about it. It's just like something they have to do every Monday morning and they're like half asleep. They ask the same questions. They've done some BS version of prep, which is just like their assistant getting a ton of bullets on like a piece of paper for them. And in turn, when someone listens to that, they're like, dude, what the, f why the fuck would I even listen to this when I can go listen to humans 2.0? I can go listen to Jay Shetty's podcast. I can go listen to a podcast that is way better out there. And so I think that's honestly the main thing. And, and you can't, you can't just spend more marketing dollars on that, unfortunately. So, yeah, it's interesting because when I when I hear that, I'm thinking of the Lean Analytics book. I don't know if you ever read that one. It's a very interesting marketing book. No. So basically, though, they say it's any startup. If you want to, if you want to grow it, first thing is you need retention. So that means the clients keep buying again and again. Second thing is you need referrals. So you need those clients to invite their friends. And only after you've done those two things should you start paying for ads. Because what's mm -hmm. the point of spending $100 to get a client that's not going to stay and is not going to invite his friends? The quality of the product is just not good enough. So, so what I'm hearing is I, I can take this and turn it into like growth marketing language <laughs> again and then use it. But that being said, on LinkedIn, we, as we both know, the algorithm plays a big role. Hmm. Is there, of course, copywriting, number one, having sure. something to say, also yeah. number one, <laughs> yeah. making some connections, let's say also number one, whatever. Is it the same with podcasting? Is there some algorithm people are needing to play with or is there some kind of like, you know, like yeah. variable that's similar? Yeah, there is. Uh, it's, um, it's, on, it's on Apple's iTunes uh, ranking. So like hmm. depending on which category you're in, um, it's like mine is in mental health and self-improvement. You are being ranked against all other podcasts that are categorized in that. And the way that you do that is not even by, um, it's not even by like the total amount of downloads. It is by the frequency and the speed of the downloads and the reviews left on your podcast. So mm. for example, if I get 5,000 downloads in one minute, Okay. Versus let's say someone who has a way bigger show than me, they get, um, they have their show. Ha let's say that ha their show has like 800 million total downloads, right? Which is crazy. Um, but let's say for whatever reason, for the sake of this example, they get 2000 downloads per minute. My show will rank higher because of that frequency for mm. that limited time in which I'm looking at it. So to be honest with you, it doesn't really matter that much, but if you care a lot about it, then I would definitely aim to ask people to leave reviews on your show and then probably like incentivize them some way to do so like I've done before. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the algorithm is super interesting. Um, you know, I think the algorithm is definitely uh, not, not important, but I think it should be factored in to what you're mm. doing in the sense of like, um, I've had posts that I didn't really think much about <laughs> the copy on them. Wasn't really great, but for whatever reason, yeah. they just blew up. Right. And like, I didn't necessarily have something to say either. And so I think that's totally because of the algorithm. And I see people like on LinkedIn who, um, quite frankly, just post BS posts. 
and they get like a thousand likes a post because they're gaming the algorithm and they have these softwares that run their LinkedIn account for them that automatically like and comment and follow and send connection requests to people. And so I think, uh, I think that's a major part of it too. But, um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I tend not to think too much about these things because I think it can definitely drive you crazy. You know, if you're a growth hacker, for sure, um, focus on it. But, um, but like in the words of uh, Neil Patel, um, when he came on my podcast, he said, don't focus on the algorithms because there is, um, there's so many other aspects of content and of marketing that you can focus on. Like, um, co- content creation, having something to say, like you said, writing good words, experimenting, building an audience, um, you know, sort of helping them in a different way, having other forms of longer form content for people to get to know you in a deeper sense. That's not just through a shallow LinkedIn post. I think that's all important. And then for sure, you got to factor in the algorithm, but I mean, dude, that stuff is crazy, bro. That stuff is so crazy to think about. It can drive you crazy. And dude, this is the craziest part about it, right? So I I was, I was having a friend of mine, I was having, um, lunch with a friend of mine in New York city. Uh, this person is very famous. They're on Netflix and they have a ton of other people and they were having to me this same conversation about algorithms, but on Netflix, it's (laughs) just like, it's just like literally every platform, the way that just media and information display has worked is it all works through algorithms. And if you're a creator on the other side of that, um, for sure, be like factor in, like you should always be paying attention. Like you should never think that just because of the way that you're posting, it works now. Now mm. you're like, Oh dude, I figured out the algorithm, bro. I'm, I, I'm good. Again, it goes back to ego. Um, so I think as long as you're always paying attention, you're always learning, you're always experimenting. I think you're going to learn how the algorithm works naturally. But I would say as you know, as long as you're not like a growth marketer or whatever, do not spend most of your time focusing on it because it's going to drive you crazy. I really like that uh, answer. And because my number one personal value is mastery, I like practicing stuff. So you telling me, Hey, you should practice the, the hosting skills rather than the algorithm skills. Just like, Hey, that's what I wanted to do in the first place. <laughs> Bro, you really, did you really think like the top podcasters have, have know anything about the algorithm for sure. Some of them do like for some like study, Facebook algorithms and they study YouTube and like, that's, that's great. But like, dude, the, the big majority of people who are like at the top, they have no idea, bro. They have literally have no idea about how these algorithms work. They've just built up an audience and just continue to add fuel and continue to learn off that fire. That's awesome. Mark, um, I know you have a meeting coming up very soon. Um, thank you so much for being on the show again. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, every time I talk to like it impacts me for the next like six months to a year, just like stuff I tried to implement that I've been thinking about. The website is in the description. People can go there, get your book. It's, it's free. I mean, no brainer. It's super good. Um, I mean, I read a ton of books. So it's for sure one of the best ones I've read this year. Uh, I'm very impressed by it. Thank you, man. Uh, I hope to have you again on the show sometime, maybe next year. You know, we could do this once a year. Let's and do it. Have an awesome day and if there's anything you want to leave the audience with feel free dude actually, you're awesome bro yeah what actually what's a question that our audience should that could ask themselves Ooh, <laughs> that's fantastic man so this is this is what i'd say okay so you know i think that um you know so this so this book i read called indistractable 
by this guy named Nir Al, who's like this professor, super smart guy. He actually endorsed my book. But he talks about the fact that all human desire to do anything comes from pain. It comes from mm-hmm. either the trying to uh, escape pain or trying to satiate yourself enough until pain then kicks in. And so pain management is a major way in which we deal throughout our lives. Like I don't mm-hmm. necessarily think the main thing is like time management. It's pain management because then that deals with how you manage your time in the absence of pain or, or in the presence of pain. And so I think the most important thing is like write down or just ask yourself like, what is the most painful thing for me? Like study yourself like a science project, look at yourself like, like a third person and be like, when this thing happens, I feel pain this then. Like, you know, when I, when I think about my girlfriend, I get in pain. So then I open Tinder on my phone and I scroll through hours, which I don't match with anyone, which leads me to be even more hopeless. And so I think if you can sort of look at your behaviors in terms of what do I do when I'm feeling irritated? What do I do when I'm feeling confused? What do I do when I'm feeling pissed off or nothing is working? Write down what you do then and then begin to develop a plan of like, how do you build in healthier coping mechanisms, right? Because one of your coping mechanisms could be to, you know, go um, go vape something or go eat something or go do whatever when I'm in this pain. That may or may not have the best effect for your health in the overall term. And so if you can look at these, look at yourself and then begin to almost like substitute bad coping mechanisms, unhealthy coping mechanisms with healthy coping mechanisms, then I think you will totally change the course of your life. Awesome. And, and if you want the book, my website is markmetry, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y.com. It's in the description, but if you're listening to this, it's super easy to Google boys and girls. Woo! Thank you so much, Mark. Have a nice day. And it was an absolute honor to have you here again. You're awesome, bro. Really appreciate everyone tuning in. Likewise. That was awesome, man. And that marks the end of another episode, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for taking a whole hour to be with me and my guest today. Um, I know you are busy doing your groceries, reading articles, and looking at pictures of cute cats with hats on. Um, I, so thank you so much for spending this time with us. Now, if there was anything that stood out to you as extra valuable, or if there was anything, any insight that made you think, I would so appreciate it if you would share it as a LinkedIn post, a Facebook post, maybe put it on your Instagram story or whatever, just to share the beautiful insights of our guests, but also, of course, to help me grow the show a little bit. Now, I'm always happy to hear from you guys. So if you have any questions, any feedback, anything whatsoever, do not um, hesitate to reach out to me i'm always here to help i'm really here to support everybody Uh, thank you again for listening and please do not forget to subscribe uh, on whatever platform that you are listening to this on stuff teampont aka the buffer potter out and thank you for listening to another episode of the marketing picnic